1: Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. I want to start the show with an article at Religion News written by good friend of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor. We love her. We do. And she basically just asks this question. It's entitled Truth, Justice, and the Torturing of Tolerance. And then she says, too many in the church have tolerated too much for too long. Uh, and so it's this idea of tolerance, right? It's this idea of tolerance, and she's going to kind of turn it uh, towards looking inwardly at us. Um, but yeah, just I guess as a kind of a bigger picture, just kind of thoughts on what Karen had to lay out here and, and what's a kind of our takeaway here?
2: I, I You know, it, it is kind of interesting because I do feel like in one sense, tolerance has allowed us to be kinder to people mm-hmm. when perhaps we weren't kinder but then what i think we saw is many people weren't very tolerant of christians and mm-hmm. so like it didn't go both ways if you want to you know use that language right yep yep but then in some senses we ha- we also like we have to be no kn- this is what's tricky we have to be known for our distinctives as christians mm. as much as our the bridges that we make to the culture, as much as we're known for that, we also have to be known for why we are distinct. Like what is different about who we are and our message and the Lord that we follow. And so I, I just, I do think it's an interesting question she's asking is has tolerance almost gone too far?
1: Yeah. It's kind of what you, I always like to go to the end of the articles to kind of wrap them up. And it's exactly what you just said. Karen said this, uh, she wrote, nevertheless, some things are clearly and simply wrong. It takes Mm. wisdom to discern what should be tolerated and what should not. It also takes wisdom to know when to speak up and when to wait. It takes wisdom to understand when institutions are set up to perpetuate wrong rather than prevent it, to recognize when corruption is a feature, not a bug. And it takes courage to tolerate no more what is wrong and to speak up and act for what is right. And so she's drawing this distinction between like we want to tolerate – people, and who may even have hurt us, right? Like, it's kind of the essence of grace and forgiveness. We, we want to show some tolerance, but we also want to stand up for what you said, what is right, what is yeah, wrong, yeah. and also call it out,
2: and right. call out
1: institutions, particularly, uh, easy word for me to say, particularly when it's um, our church institutions, our Christian institutions, uh, who are abusing power or who are corrupt, like that's oftentimes where we get ourselves in trouble, where in the name of tolerance, we'll go, ah, you know, things happen or this mm-hmm, happens, or mm-hmm. look at the good things that they're doing. Look at all the And we kind of right. just rationalize it and justify it. Her point is, no, Christians have to get better at times at looking at things and going, that's just wrong.
2: Yeah. And
1: we're going to say it's wrong, and we're going to deal with the aftermath of saying that it's wrong, especially when it's us, the Christian world, who is perpetuating the wrong.
2: Yeah, it's almost like we need to get better at being cultural agents of our own agencies, you know what I mean? And being able to look really clearly and see things from a perspective, um, like like a stepping back perspective, like get enough perspective that we can evaluate ourselves and say, okay, wait, this is actually not just a one-time thing that happened. There is something really problematic here, and I'm going to speak up against it. But I do think that takes a lot of discernment. It takes a lot of being able to read things properly. It takes the Holy Spirit giving you discernment. It takes intentionality and not laziness. And then it does take courage because it is hard to be the voice of dissent especially amongst your own people and say this thing I'm seeing is wrong and to do it publicly when you know, you're going to get backlash. I mean, I, sometimes I think I don't have that kind of courage and I wish I did.
1: Yeah. And it it brings us back to something we've talked about, uh, on this show, on this show often is like, at what points do we call out things that are wrong? And at what points do we go, well, you know, but by the grace of God, God go I. And then at what points do we, uh, Corporately offer forgiveness and go, yep, yeah, we're not going to tolerate their behavior, but it's been long enough. Now they can, you know, kind of get back to a pulpit, if you will, or lead right, an organization. Right, or right. What. So it's not just an, an intolerance of, um, of the original action, the abuse, the cover up, the whatever else it might be. Think of the many uh, stories of sex abuse, yeah. uh, in the church, but it's also then how long will we, um, be, to, to use her language, intolerant of that person, uh, being ever back in a public setting, being ever mm. back in a position of power. That's really where it gets tricky because especially for people who have outwardly at least um, brought about a lot of fruit, a lot of good, they're, it can become really uh, easy to justify like, hey, they've served their sentence long enough, like right. the church misses them. Right. That's right. where this conversation gets really kind of gray, don't you think?
2: Oh, it does get great because, you know, like, okay, the Lord forgives, the Lord reinstates. We saw the Lord reinstate Peter. I mean, you know, so it does get a little bit tricky. Like, what is the godly thing to do? Mm. And, I, you know, I feel like I don't have an awesome answer for this, except I appreciate what you say often, Brian, is restoration doesn't have to mean restoration to a pulpit. It doesn't have to mean restoration to the same position. And so how can we, I don't know, how can we, how can we help be agents of restoration and reconciliation, but not cover up great sin and great corruption and and criminal behavior? It's like the sweet spot is somewhere in there and we haven't quite done it right. I'm not exactly sure how to do it right, but it's certainly a question we need to wrestle with.
1: Yeah. And I think Karen's bigger point is an important one for all of us to embrace, and that is uh, we scream as Christians a lot of wanting our culture to be tolerant of us, of our faith. Yeah, or yeah. But oftentimes uh, we need to learn how to be intolerant of mm. the sin, of the pain, of the cover up, of whatever else within our own ranks and just kind of call out what is wrong and then deal with the backlash, deal with the aftermath. Yeah. Later and all too often we don't do this because we don't want a black eye for this. Totally. Person or this yeah, totally. Person. No. We're thankful for Karen. She does this often in her, in her day to day life. She's
2: so brave. I know she is a brave and courageous woman.
1: She is. I'd encourage you to follow her at Karen Swallow Pryor. Well, coming up next, Daniel Kuhnman. He is director, producer and co-founder of Unveil Studios. He's also uh, written a new book called Breath of Life, three breaths that shaped Humanity. We're going to talk about that book and a couple other things with Daniel Kuman next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by a director, producer, and co-founder of Unveil Studios, and also the author of a new book that we're going to talk about called Breath of Life, Three Breaths That Shaped Humanity. That is Daniel Kuhlman. Daniel, how are you doing today?
3: Doing great. How are you guys? We're really good, man. Thanks
1: for doing this. Hey, before we jump into the book and the other stuff we want to talk about, could you just take a minute to introduce yourself to our audience so they could get to know you a little bit better?
3: Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, My name is Daniel, as you heard, but my brothers and I make up Unveil Studios. It's a Canadian production company. And um, we want to tell stories that inspire and that people want to watch twice and they want to talk about and share with friends. And uh, we've been kind of traveling around the world, making documentary films. It was sort of my spoken goal in high school was I want to see the world and I want to tell stories. And so I've been to over 30 countries documenting stories. And um, it's funny how when you go out on mission, so to speak, um, you end up sort of slowly finding your purpose. And that's basically yeah. what creativity, I think, does for people. So that's, that's what happened to us. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love that. And we're so excited, Daniel, to talk to you about Breath of Life, both the book and the TV series. Before we dive into all the details, would you just talk to us quickly? Like, what is this book about? I know you mentioned the three breaths of God. Give us some significance to what you're talking about.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, I would go on these mission trips to Tanzania Um, every year. I was on year 12 of my missions trips, um, kind of leading these small teams into Tanzania. And I would always ask God for a word that would sort of guide the mission. And, um, you know, sometimes that would be like a Bible theme verse or something like that. But this time around, this was back in 2019, I asked God for a word and he quite literally gave me this one word. And it was like, I heard his audible whisper and he said, breath, the Mm. trip was supposed to be about breath. And so what it ended up taking me on this journey was because I had no intention of writing a book as a filmmaker. I thought that I would just kind of be behind the camera. But um, it turned into a story and unfolded into this this book that I had to write because I was kind of swept into this visionary experience of the Garden of Eden when I first heard that word breath. Mm -hmm. And I'd been kind of already digging into stories of creativity within the Bible. And it fascinated me that... You know, God, the father is depicted as a potter and a sculptor. And it talks about in Genesis one, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, in the Hebrew, it's talking about him as a dancer, kind of dancing over creation Mm. and the the possibility that he's creating through that dance. And, you know, he's later just described as a visual artist and a painter and all these different things. And so I was really drawn into that creativity of God. But this vision that I had was and I I say vision, but it's kind of like my imagination entering the Garden of Eden. And as I entered the Garden of Eden, I just imagine Father God who, you know, it says in Genesis chapter two, the Lord God essentially enters the garden. And it's Mm -hmm. really intriguing because in Genesis one, he's described as the spirit of God and he's far off, if you will. And he's speaking everything into existence. Let there be light, let dry ground appear, all these beautiful things that are happening. But he's using the power of his voice, power of his breath. And then he enters in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter two, and it says, In our translation is the Lord God formed a man. But in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh formed a man Mm. from the dust of the earth. And there's this beautiful picture of him as a potter squeezing his intention and purpose into humanity. And it's the only time in creation that he actually touches creation. And he gets his hands dirty in the mud. And it says that he formed and it uses this powerful word Yatsar, which is to say that he's taking his actual life force and sustaining presence and he's putting it into humanity. Amazing. And then... What's really, really intriguing is that he's father, God, and he's holding humanity in his hands. But even though God has made him, Adam is not yet alive. Eve is not yet alive until he breathes on them. And so then I realize that if, if it doesn't have the breath of God, it doesn't mean anything.
2: Mm.
1: Ah, uh, that's really powerful, man. Uh, in the book, you say uh, we have the power to breathe good as well as evil. Can you unpack that statement? That feels like a really important statement.
3: Absolutely. Um, A couple of scripture references to back that up. Um, You know, when Paul, the apostle, who we think of as this great man of God, you know, he did miracles. And my favorite thing was, you know, he took dirty cloths and he healed people with them. Right. So Mm -hmm. there was this power of God that was at work in his life. And even these ugly things became beautiful, you know, and That's the picture of his own life because when he was Saul before he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, it says in Acts that, I think it's Acts chapter nine, that he was going around breathing murderous threats.
0: Mm. In,
3: In another translation, I think it's the New Living Translation, says that he was uttering threats and murder with every breath. And so there's this powerful picture of the ability that we have to breathe good as well as evil. And Paul is a perfect example of that because he goes on to become this, you know, apostle of apostles, right? And, um, you know, James in the book of James says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it's a very powerful thing because, and I'm just going to quickly back up into the name of Yahweh, which kind of was my original revelation from God in the garden of Eden is that when he breathed on Adam, the thing that brought Adam to life was the sound of his name. Mm -hmm. (sighs) An inhaled and exhaled breath is actually the sound of the name of your creator. And so when you think about this, the first word that Adam said when he came alive in the garden was the name of God. (laughs) And every time that we breathe 25,000 times a day that we as human beings breathe, we say the name of God on our breath. And so there's this incredible thing that in the book of Exodus, um, God, the father, the great I am, he teaches Moses what his name is. And he says, I am that I am. This is how you shall call me for generations to come. You shall always know me as Yahweh. And it's really intriguing because in back in the day, when they translated the Bible 7,000 times, we replaced the name YHWH or Yahweh with Lord or Lord God in our translations. Mm -hmm. And I believe we truly missed a great revelation of who God is because he's meant to be your every breath. He's your sustaining presence. And in the Hebrew, this word Breath is interchangeable with the word spirit. So when he breathed in this, it's the word ruach. When he breathed on Adam, he actually imparted spirit. And you think about well, what does that mean? Well, when you breathe your last breath, your spirit leaves your body. So your breath and your spirit are wholly connected. And we are literally sustained by the breath and the spirit of God, because it says in the book of Job that if he withdrew his sustaining breath, his presence, his spirit, that all of humanity, all of flesh would collapse in an instant. Mm. Like literally the universe would cease to exist Mm, if he pulled back his sustaining power, his breath.
2: I want to keep talking to you about this, the concept of the breath of God and the various breaths that you write about. But I also want to, would you quickly talk to us about this TV series that's based on breath of life because you're directing it and uh, this is really exciting. What can people expect from the series?
3: Yeah, the series is really exciting. Um, we've been able to pull in some incredible, incredible um, interview subjects and featured guests. We have Dallas Jenkins, creator of The Chosen, and we have Kim Walker-Smith from Jesus Culture Music and Trevor McNeven of uh, Thousand Foot Crutch and Skillet, if people know that band. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have some amazing contributors and um, the list goes on. But um, what they can expect is basically the story of the book kind of being unpacked in a truly visual way and I kind of write in a visual sort of cinematic way. Um, That's just kind of the way I think. And so the book is like that as well. Um, But the the series really just unpacks and kind of creates that visual for people. And it's really exciting. We have three parts. So it's a three-part series that feature the three breaths of God that shaped humanity. So part one is about Father God and how he breathed in the garden. Part two is about how Jesus breathed redemption for us from the cross. And part three taps into what the Holy Spirit gave us um, in that upper room, which is an exciting scene when God actually breathed on humanity again.
1: Mm, Love that. Again,
3: uh, Daniel Kuhlman is the author of a new
1: book called Breath of Life, Three Breaths That Shaped Humanity, uh, also part of a three-part TV series. Daniel, real fast, where can people get that? uh, Where can they check that out, that three-part series? How can people access it?
3: Yeah, breathoflifemedia.com. You can find tickets. You can find Showtime's first part comes out in January. Awesome. Daniel, before we jump back in uh, to the book, I do want to ask you about
1: Unveil Studios. You said you, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you run it and you do this all with your brothers, right? And uh, what is that like to kind of have your life's mission, your work tied in with your family? I'm sure that's great at times, hard at times, but overall, what's that experience been like for you?
3: Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, we get asked that a lot because, you know, a lot of brothers, especially growing up, kind of have, you know, the physical and maybe emotional fighting. <laughs>
2: but <laughs> we, uh,
3: we we avoided that um pretty pretty much. Um there was a couple episodes that I can remember. But um yeah, no, we we really um just work really well together. And there's something about family that if um if you can connect with your family members, it's almost like you're already thinking the same thoughts, you know? So, um, Matt and I, we direct together. Um, Andrew writes, we collaborate and produce together and, um, it is really a blessing. It's, it's kind of truly that picture of uh, how blessed it is if brothers dwell in unity. And in our case, it's a, it's really, you know, for real.
2: (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Well, again, Daniel, you're here to talk about your book, breath of life and the uh, TV series three part TV series that's connected to it. What's your hope for um, both your listeners or your watchers, I should say, your watchers and your readers as they experience this breath of life that you've poured so much into? What's your hope for them? What's the big takeaway that you'd like to see?
3: Yeah, no, that's really good because, um, you know, I, I was going to Tanzania for years and God gave me this simple message and it was to look children in the eyes, orphans in Tanzania and say, you are made in God's image. You are beautiful. He shaped you. Just like he shaped Adam and Eve in the garden, he formed Mm -hmm. you and he knows you. And it's all about identity. And I really, truly believe that this book and this series will breathe life on people's identity. Because Mm. when we realize that we're made in God's image, we start to understand that he actually created us to have us learn how to do what he does. And when he breathes on us, we realize that we bear his image because we have spirit and God is spirit. And so we resemble him at a spiritual but also a physical level because we have life and we have breath. And I want people to know, like, you are immensely, 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 can I say it three times? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are, you are actually so loved that God would give Jesus Christ to die for you so that he could have a relationship with you. And not only that, but he created that moment, that redemption story so that he could marry us as the bride. Like, he actually, like, that's how intimately he wants to know us. And so I just truly believe that this this story is about us reconnecting with the names of, you know, in, in Hebrew, we learn a lot about the names of God that touches us because we see our identity in those names. And then he actually named us and, and he called us. And so I mm. hope that people, they they regain their their true identity through this.
1: And Daniel, you talk in the book about how uh, how Satan, how the enemy affects our negative emotions, things like anxiety or fear. Uh Unpack that a little bit and and speak to us. How do we overcome those things? How do we uh, overcome these negative emotions like anxiety and fear?
3: Yeah, it's a really powerful thing because, you know, so, you you know, in this generation, we might ask, you know, why do bad things happen if, if the breath of God is on everybody's lips every time they breathe? Why are bad things happening? And, you know, there's these questions that we ask, well, back in the book of Genesis, Satan actually entered the atmosphere. And it's very intriguing because in the book of Ephesians, it says that he is the prince of the power of the air. Well, the Mm. air is what we breathe, right? Mm. So in the actual atmosphere, there is corrupted, this virus, this sin virus, which by the way, it's far more contagious than the virus that we're dealing with today (laughs) it is the virus of sin has affected every human being ever the billions and billions ever created except for one you know jesus christ and so you think about that virus and it's in the air but then there's this incredible thing to your question of how do we overcome it god gives us an internal breath of life called the holy spirit And in the in Hebrew, it's ruach hakodesh. It's that word ruach again, which means breath and spirit. And then hakodesh means set apart. So the actual set apart presence that is like God Himself, like it's crazy, right? Like the first thing as a new believer that you get is the most powerful thing that shaped the universe, right? Mm. Like you get the (laughs) breath of God inside of you. Like what was God thinking, right? Mm. But He gives us His set apart spirit, and it's so that we can blow away. You know, it says in the book of Revelation that he'll overcome his enemies by the breath of his mouth. We can actually breathe life. We can actually speak to the things in the atmosphere, anxiety, fear, chaos, you know, the enemy, it's himself. And we can tell him to go away because we have that sustaining presence of God, the Holy Spirit in us.
2: Amen. That's awesome, Daniel. Um, Daniel, let me ask you about your travels. I would love to just hear, I I don't know if there's a story that you share in your book, but something connected to this topic of these important breaths and then some of your experience traveling all around the world.
3: Yeah, thanks for that. Because it it plays into this third breath that I talk about in the book is the breath of the Holy Spirit. And it's really intriguing because, you know, we have, I think, 6,500 languages out there on planet Earth. But I realized through this process that the one word, the one name that is understood by all languages is actually the name of Yahweh, which is on our breath. And so if we all breathe, no matter what our background and ethnicity, like if I'm in Tanzania, Thailand or anywhere, we all breathe. Right. So we we have this same language of breath and actually breath in scripture can be categorized as a form of speech like saying the name of God. And so it's such a powerful thing because I've been in situations and here's a really quick story of just being in Tanzania. And there was actually this like presence in the atmosphere that I could sense. Like I was trying to connect with this sweet girl and we didn't speak the same language. We were talking through a translator and she was just despondent. And it, you know, it wasn't because she was hungry or malnourished. It was like, there was something spiritual in the atmosphere and I realized that I didn't have to speak through the translator. I could just speak the truth of God's word. And so I Mm. asked the translator to actually stop translating. And I looked that girl in the eye and I said, you are beautiful, made in the image of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. And instantly, I'm telling you instantly, her face and her countenance changed. The atmosphere in that room changed. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. When you begin to speak the realities of God's kingdom into the actual air around you, and it's true, like the, the enemy flees in seven ways. He cannot be in the presence of God that way. Mm. And so I, I believe that that is another thing for people to take away is that as you receive the Holy Spirit, like you have the breath, the power of God on your words and in your life. And it's a, it's a true gift that we get to walk with.
1: That's a powerful story. Daniel, let me close it out this way. Somebody's listening right now out there and they're just discouraged and they're here kind of what you're saying. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know if God can love me. I don't know. They're just kind of struggling in their identity and for themselves. Could you speak uh, briefly a word of hope uh, and encouragement for that person?
3: Yeah, I just would invite that person wherever you are. I know that, you know, you're probably driving or working or listening somewhere right now. And, You know, each one of us goes through that season. Think about the disciples in the upper room. If you've read the the book of John, his gospel, there's this scene where the actual apostles of Jesus, the ones that saw him do all the miracles, they're incredibly discouraged. They're incredibly disconnected from God. They're living in fear and panic in this upper room, waiting for basically the people that took Jesus to come and take them. Like, I mean, this is like a crazy anxiety, right? And Jesus himself appears in the room, the resurrected Savior, and he pulls back the sleeves you know his robe that's on his arms and on it by his sandals by his feet and the holes that were put through him are still there it's the only thing that will ever from humanity make it into heaven Mm -hmm. is the holes that are in jesus because that's the testimony of the gospel that jesus came for you so wherever you are it's like the creator of the universe embodied himself in the body of jesus christ so that you could have saving grace so that you could actually look at him in the face and then what did he do He stood the disciples up. He said, peace, shalom, peace be with you, peace over your body, soul, and spirit. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit onto them. So right now, all you have to do is literally open your, you know, do something, open your hands or look up or just look into your heart or just talk to God in your own words and say, I receive your Holy Spirit. And then you just breathe. (sighs) It's just this powerful thing of just receiving his breath, his breath of life. And um, I would just encourage whoever's listening to do that and do that every day. Just get connected to his presence.
1: Oh, thank you for that, Daniel. That's a great word. Again, uh, Daniel Kuman is the author of a new book called Breath of Life, Three Breaths That Shaped Humanity. It's also going to be part, uh, Breath of Life is an original three-part TV series also directed by Daniel and his brothers. You can learn more about Daniel and his book at breathoflifemedia.com. That's breathoflifemedia.com. Connect with Daniel on Twitter at Daniel Kuhlman. Daniel, this was wonderful, man. Thanks for spending time with us. All right. Thank you, guys. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, you were out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I would like to say that you were off enjoying a vacation, <laughs> or you were off enjoying some leisure time. But no, in fact, you and your family were deep in grief, and and really yeah. uh, kind of really had to process a lot this week. And I know that you kind of wanted to put a little bit of a bow on that and talk about that. So why don't you share about this week for us?
2: Yeah, I think I I briefly mentioned it last week, but Kevin's mom passed away unexpectedly. And so we had her funeral on Monday and a burial and internment on Tuesday and then some family time on Wednesday just to celebrate her. And really, really, really hard. I mean, I think we're all we're all a little bit in a fog, yeah. like putting one foot in front of the other and just trying to do the next thing and and trying to figure out, like, OK, we need to go back to school. We need to go back to work. We need to like buy groceries again and just like do things that feel a little harder right now. But, um, you know, it's, it, the, the ceremonies of goodbye I think are more important than I realized they were. And before Mm. I get into that, I just want to say this, Brian, thank you. Steve Coble, if you're listening, thank you, Debbie. Thank you. You guys have been such a blessing to me and to Kevin taking over the show these past few days, even last week allowing us the time and space we need to grieve. So thank you for keeping oh, I appreciate things that. going. And thanks for your leadership. Um, we're a
1: team. We're a family. So yeah, we're a family. Pleasure.
2: And I appreciate I really it means a lot to us. But, um, you know, Monday, it's it's funny. You don't necessarily ever want to do a funeral, right? Mm-hmm, you don't ever mm-hmm. want to bury a loved one. But I I realized how important these sort of communal ceremonies and rites of passage of goodbye are. It was so helpful for my kids, Um, It was so helpful for loved ones and family members just to be able to honor Kevin's mom. Her name was Pam, honor her legacy. And the biggest standout to me, Brian, is she had nine grandkids. Her three kids each had three kids. Okay, And so um, the oldest is 22. My youngest, uh, Nolan, just turned 10. So that's kind of the range of grandkids and one by one they all stood up and they talked about grandma's legacy.
1: Really? Wow. Yes.
2: And such similar themes. And I would say each one talked about two things. One, the family memories that grandma made for them. So grandma Mm. was a big tradition grandma. Like every Thanksgiving, we do this. Every Christmas, we do this. Every summer, we have a big water balloon fight. Like
0: (laughs) every single
2: grandkid mentioned that. And then every single grandkid mentioned her faith and her love of Jesus. And little Mm. notes she had sent them reminding them that the purpose of life is to love Jesus and how much Jesus loved them. And I, you know... I know we've talked about legacy on the show before Brian, but seeing it in such a personal way, like she was not a spotlight lady. She was not a limelight lady. She was um, in chronic pain most of her life because of chronic autoimmune diseases. Um, and so, you know, she wasn't ever in fact we had we have some of her journals and she often wrestled with how useless she felt. Oh wow. Um, but even in her uselessness, she would say, But I am a grandma and I am gonna love my kids and I'm gonna pray for them to love Jesus. I mm. mean, those all throughout her journal. And so to see her like I mean it's gonna make me cry, but to see her legacy in this next generation, nine grandkids who recognized that they were so deeply loved by their grandmother, yeah. nine grandkids who recognized their grandmother's love of Jesus. I, you know, it's like, it almost doesn't matter what you do in life as long as you love your people well yeah. and point them to Christ. And yeah. I just thought this is a legacy that's going to last forever. I mean, of course, her three kids talked about that as well, but there was something so powerful about hearing it from the mouth of, you know, my 15-year-old, my twelve year old, my nine-year-old, and the twenty-two-year-old. You know what I mean? It was just I, it was just really, really powerful. And, That's and great. of course, every every time you lose someone, you start to evaluate your own life and am mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am I living life to the fullest? Am I am I doing the things I want to do? But I think at the end of the day, if you'll allow me to just keep talking. No, Ryan, yes, yes. Um you know we put so much emphasis on like a bucket list, right? All these things I want to do, all these places I want to go, all these um achievements I want to accomplish. And yet none of that stuff really mattered when we were saying goodbye to Pam. It was just her love. And it was yeah. her quiet, faithful life. Mm. Making a home, making people feel loved, and making Jesus known to the people she was around. And it was like that's all that mattered, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I anyway. appreciate you sharing that. That's hard. That's that's a lot. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: How did um I know before last week, you talked about how your kids have never gone through anything like this. Is it somebody this close? What was that like for you as a mom? Mm. What was it? Where were the moments where you're like, oh, they get this? And other ones you're like, I don't know. What was it like for your kids?
2: Yeah. You know, kids process grief like kids do at the right developmental age for them. And so they were able for at least for a while to kind of like, you know, Halloween was over the weekend. There, Kevin and I are like barely holding on. Oh, we have to get candy. I forgot about candy. Oh, do our kids have costumes? Like, and they're just so ready to compartmentalize. Like, it's trick or treating time! Yay! Yes. <laughs> but then you know. But then I think this is why something like a funeral can be so important for people. It was there. I think our kids finally realized what happened, and to sit by my ten-year-old. I mean. I will never forget this, Brian, to sit by my ten-year-old, him sobbing and him mm. going, Mom, I need more Kleenex, Mom, I need more Kleenex, Mom, I need more Kleenex. And every time I'd give him more Kleenex, he'd go, Thank you so much, Mom. Thank you so much, oh. Mom. <laughs> and then he like he he couldn't he ended up not actually being able to read the speech he wrote. So he like he pulled up a little stool by the mic and he asked Kevin to come up and read it for him and he just sat there and cried while Aww. Kevin read it. And Seeing all three of my kids just weep for their grandmother was so hard as a mom, but also so healthy. Like, I, you know, I'm glad they were able to express their emotions. I'm glad they were able to experience a funeral to get that that first part of closure. And then we just keep kind of checking in with them, like not constantly, because I know they'll be able to bounce back quicker than like Kevin will, for sure. For sure. But to be able to stop at the dinner table last night, we all kind of said, all right, everybody, how you doing? Let's do a check in. How are your emotions? How's your body feeling? How's your and everyone just said, we're tired. We're so tired. Emotionally, physically, we're tired. But then today, everybody got up and went to school and mm-hmm. like did the hard work of showing up, you know. So um, I, I think in the end, we will all be good because she left such a good legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will remember her well. But certainly with the holidays coming, yeah. you know, lots of things to pray about for, for all families who have gone through loss in the past couple of
1: years. Yeah, I appreciate you shared Because like you said, one of the common themes we go back to on this show is the theme of legacy.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: And how do we build a legacy? What's the legacy you want to leave? And it's one thing, like you said, to talk about it uh, in theory, it's another thing to see it play out with those that you love. And I'll go, wow, that was a legacy. And mm-hmm. uh, we're getting to see it on display in her grandkids. And yep. uh, that's really powerful. I appreciate you, Sharon. I know it's hard. it's I know Thanks it's been a hard couple brand. weeks. And uh, it's good to have you back. So coming up next, uh, scripture memorization. Uh, why do we do it? Do we do it? Uh and then if so, why? If not, why not? What is the purpose? What is the value? This feels like a very pastoral conversation we're going to have about the Bible next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. How are you doing today? It's really good to have you with us. As pastors on this show, we talk about spiritual disciplines, uh, reading of the Bible, uh, praying, taking Sabbath, uh, all of these. But one of the ones that we don't think often about uh, is scripture memory. Mm. Uh, the Bible talks about hiding the word of God in your heart yeah, and um, storing it up, you know, basically for when you need it. And I don't know, do you have people in your, well, let's start, let's start personal. Uh, I'm not uh, anyone who's ever really done scripture memory. Like, you know, when you're in Sunday school growing up, you had to memorize the verse or whatever, but uh, it's just never been anything I've really done. I've always respected people uh, who are very much into scripture memory. What about you? Is this part of your rhythm?
2: So it has been in 2021, and I say that because it never was, and I always regretted that, and I always was a little like just in awe of pastors or preachers or authors that I would listen to or just even friends who just were quoting scripture left and right, and I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, they... The scripture is internalized for them. I wish I could do that. And so I actually, for my New Year's resolution, my goal was to just memorize scripture this year. And I actually got a scripture memory tool called Dwell, dwell. dwell.com. And it's, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's a temporary tattoo that has a scripture On it in like a design, and then it comes with a article that you can read and some devotional thoughts, and like a postcard, and even a keychain for Bible memory. And it's only once a month, so you're memorizing one scripture a month. And so now it's almost December. I've memorized twelve scriptures, and that's twelve more than I did last year. So I'll keep doing it. I I feel like um, it is one of those disciplines that. I think if you don't do, you just won't do, you know what I mean? Like it, it will fall off the table pretty quickly. And some of that is because if you're in scripture, you're studying scripture, maybe for a sermon or just for devotion, mm-hmm. you, the scripture gets in there and you don't necessarily need to do the work of memorizing, but I do, I don't know. I don't remember things really well. And yeah. so, but I, I, I want to say this too. Um, I feel like I was taught really kind of terribly the reason to memorize scripture is because one day people are going to take your Bibles and you're not going to have it. Oh, really? Yeah. It was sort of this fear-based kind of fundamentalist reason. And it wasn't like, hey, memorize scripture because you love to internalize God's word and because God's word will help you. And because soaking it into your heart actually is an act of worship. Like I wasn't taught this beautiful reason. And so I think that's why perhaps I've stayed away um, Because it almost felt like this legalistic thing to do out of fear. But as I began to realize, like, oh, no, God's scripture is beautiful. I just want to know it because I want to know God. That sort of changes your perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I, I've not, that's right. People go in, you, in case your Bibles are gone. You need it. And that's true in other countries, obviously.
2: Absolutely it is. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make light of that. You're right.
1: Looking at my bookshelf, I don't think that's going to be happening here anytime soon. But uh, I knew a guy uh, at my last church, if I remember right, he memorized – the entire book of Romans.
2: Amazing. I, I think it is so impressive, impressive when people memorize all of Scripture.
1: It is beautiful. Or like a whole Bible book. Yeah. yeah, and Romans is no small book. That's about as long as, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the longer ones that you could do. Yes. Uh, but, Aubrey, you kind of touched on it. But um, let's unpack it more for people who've never even really considered memorizing Scripture. Before we talk about more how do we do it, Uh, Help people, again, continue to unpack the benefit of it. Why even begin down that path? Or why did you go down that path?
2: Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned the first part of Psalm 119 earlier that David's talking about how he has hidden God's word at his heart that he might not sin against God. Mm. So part of it is just knowing the word of God so that we would live faithfully for him. And then interestingly, over at Christianity Today, the um, singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken talked about the power of memorizing scripture in her life and how scripture keeps surprising her. And she shared this uh, that I wanted to share with you. She said, Learning and memorizing scripture turned out to be the most important investment I could have made in my early years. I celebrate it now when it's much harder to learn a language or memorize a Robert Frost poem. These days are full of responsibilities and noisy distractions. These days, my mind is less absorbent. At any age, when we allow scripture to soak into our hearts, to saturate our roots like the tree in Psalm 1, we are fed by the nourishment of God's word. There is nothing more essential to life, even though making the time for it may seem like we're not being productive. Mm. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's uh, that's powerful because as someone who doesn't necessarily do this, I'm I'm being convicted right now, right? Yeah. Uh, the the question becomes, well, that. that could take some time. What's the value? I'm at least reading my Bible. Um, but there's this, uh, we know the things we've memorized. You know, we we have random things that we've memorized in our lives and they just come out at certain times, right? Like they just and and how beautiful yes. if it is scripture that is just coming out. As you're this past week, as you're mourning the loss of your mother-in-law, you're standing there in the graveyard and you've got Uh, you know, graveside and you've got scripture maybe coming to mind.
2: Absolutely. Like Psalm 34 comes right to mind. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And you know that, Lord, you're close to us right now, even though we're hurting, you know, those kinds of things offer so much hope and comfort, honestly, when things are hard.
1: So uh, let's give people tools. What's, uh, What's a first step? We like to talk about first steps here. What is a, uh, a first step towards starting to move? You, you talked about an online tool, but how could people start down this path?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think let's go small, right? Like, don't, I mean, if you want to be the guy, that amazing guy at your church who memorized all of Romans, that is certainly a goal. Um, I, I would say have a goal and just begin. And there are apps for scripture memory. There's again, this dwell.com. If you want to get that uh, subscription, that's been really helpful for me just to see the tattoo on my wrist every day. That helps me memorize it. Um, And then I think just asking God for help. Lord, I I want to memorize your word. I'm not that great at it, especially as I get older and my mind doesn't work that well. Can you help me? I would say the most powerful thing, songs with scripture, right? right. Because we, the, whatever reason the brain remembers songs and remembers songs for decades to come. And there are all kinds of albums out there that are based on the word of God. And you can memorize scripture just by listening to songs as well.
1: That's a a great, there's a whole nother lesson there about the power of song. Isn't that true? Through the generations, songs were done. So scripture, memory, uh, an important spiritual discipline. I'm going to be convicted by that and maybe start to give it a try. So I hope you out there do. Coming up next, one of our favorite times of the week, Aubrey and I are going to do this week's top five list. Coming up next here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, it's Friday. Woo-hoo! And on Friday, we just have to have a little bit of fun. And that the one of the ways we do that here on The Common Good is through a top five list.
2: Man, we love these things. I don't know if the world loves them, although I think they do because we get a lot of comments on our top five lists on social media. So please go to at Common Good Talk, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know what you think about our top five lists. But the, we love it.
1: And we love the jingle that yeah. our producer put with it. So before we tell you what to, uh, today's top 5 list, let's hear the jingle.
2: Top 5, top 5, top 5. Top 5, top 5 things with Brian and Aubrey.
1: Aubrey, top 5 underdog movies
2: underdog movies so, and like, to clarify that's not movies that didn't do well at the box office correct this is movies about the underdog uh,
1: uh, correct so mine will have a sports bent to it but ah, i couldn't sure. i couldn't keep these down so i have my top 5 and then i have five honorable mentions do
2: you really i do have 3 honorable mentions so All right yeah, these were good. I would uh
1: I think I would like you to go first with number 5.
2: Okay, number 5, I know this is going to sound funny, but it is an underdog movie. School of Rock with Jack Black.
3: I heard you in music class you guys can really play. Why didn't anyone tell
1: me? And explain how that's an underdog movie.
2: Because it's like the kind of the kids from class that don't do as well as the other kids, they're kind of the out Cast, I got it. And he it. forms a band with them, and they win the contest.
1: Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler oh, sorry, alert. <laughs> sorry, everyone.
2: Sorry,
1: everyone. <laughs> All right, School I'll, of Rock. I'll give you School of Rock. That's a good one. For me, you. number five might be, the, for a lot of people, I would suspect that when they heard Underdog Movie, this is the movie that came to mind. Uh, I'm going to go with Rudy. Rudy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you have to have Rudy on your underdog list.
1: Well, we're going to see if you do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I won't.
1: Yes, Rudy, you know, it's the great classic story of the boy who wants to play football at Notre Dame. Everyone tells us he can't. And then at the end, he does. It's a wonderful movie.
2: Yeah. Okay. This is also not going to seem like an underdog movie, but it is. It's really, really good. I've seen it only twice, but if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. Ford v. Ferrari. I've never seen it. You haven't? No. Oh, well, so in the movie, the underdog is Ford, which doesn't seem accurate now, but it was at the time. Racing Ferrari. Who's going to win? Who makes the better car? And there's a personal story, too. It's great. Ford v. Ferrari.
1: Okay. I'll go with it. You know what? Right. I stayed away from here. Maybe you're going to get into or some like Pixar Disney movies. I think you can make those into underdog oh, you're movies. you're right.
2: Here. I did stay away from those. Those would have been good.
1: All right. What am I on? Number four. I'm going to go with Disney movie, but not like a Disney, uh, like a classic Disney princess or anything. Just a regular Disney movie.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember the Titans. Oh, great one!
1: We have won every single game we have played
0: till now, so this team is perfect. We stepped out on that field that way tonight, and uh, if it's all
1: the same to you, Coach Boone, that's how we want to leave it. You know, you and I were youth pastors uh, running youth groups at a similar time, and this was the go-to watching (laughs) on the bus. Absolutely.
2: Like every every parent was okay with it. It was appropriate. It was powerful. What are you watching at
1: the lock-in, pastor? (laughs) Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans.
2: Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes, that's that's the way it works. That's so true. Okay. Am I number three? You're number three okay i hope you agree that this is uh, I, f- I realize i'm like pushing the line here i hope my next you... one
1: just so you know is gonna be a little bit of a stretch but okay I'm with
2: you. okay okay so i'm actually going with the marvel movie believe it or not and i'm going with spider-man up up and away web shazam
1: go 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 web go
2: because Stretch. he does start as an underdog. He's the nerd in school. Everyone makes fun of him. He okay. loves MJ and he's really kind of a nerd until he gets his powers, but he's, everyone still thinks he's a nerd until, you know, people realize who Peter Parker really is. So I'm Hopefully. going I'm going Spider-Man.
1: I'll give it to you. What do you think about, by the way, Tom Holland? That's his name. Dating yes. Zendaya. What do What are your feelings about that? <gasps> are
2: they dating? This is the best news I've ever heard. I'm getting ready for that wedding. Are you serious,
1: Aubrey? They're dating. Okay. At the end of this, I need you to use your little Google machine. They've been dating <laughs> for a while now. It's well, I. A while.
2: I knew they starred in the in Spider Man together. I did not know they were an item.
1: They are. I love item it. Item
2: I love everything about it. Sign me up. I'm going to be sad when they break up. She's <laughs> that was dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, that's not lasting. Right.
1: Uh, number three for me. And this was the one that I said was a little bit of a stretch. OK, uh, but I think uh, seeing you're going to use Spider-Man now, I feel much better about yeah. making this an underdog movie. I'm going to go with Sandlot.
2: Oh, I could see that being an underdog movie for sure.
1: Yep. Remember, yep. Yep. especially when they play like the team with all the nice uniforms mm-hmm. and practices and they're mm-hmm. just, you know, they're this, I love Sandlot, by the way, my kid, yeah. my boy, my son went through a long Sandlot, uh, like kind of obsession and I loved it cause we would keep watching Sandlot, but we haven't watched it in a long time, but yeah, Sandlot.
2: I love it. That was a great movie. I used to watch that all the time. All right. I'm on number two, right? Okay. You mine is also two. a Disney movie here and I don't think you can argue with this one. It is The Mighty Ducks.
0: And just when you think they're about to break apart, Ducks ducks fly together! together. And
2: When the wind blows hard and the sky is black, Ducks fly together!
1: Ah, you're going to hear that one in my honorable mentions. Nice! No, that is a classic underdog movie.
2: Yeah, okay. That's what I thought.
1: You are strangely a big Mighty Ducks fan, though. (laughs)
2: I am sort of oddly a big Mighty Ducks fan, like the TV show I love. I almost actually bought myself a Mighty Ducks jersey recently. So, yeah, I have a problem maybe. It's because it is a little weird.
1: It is, it's interesting. <laughs> Your love for Mighty Ducks is interesting. All right. My number two, uh, my one and two are not going to surprise you. Okay. Uh, number two for me uh you could really go with all the rocky movies but i'm going to zero in on rocky mm. 4 sure sure in which uh, rocky balboa takes on the russian ivan drago and which yep. no, you know he's going he just killed apollo creed uh, you can't beat him his wife yells at rocky right in that in that climactic scene and then of course spoiler alert rocky beats the russian and rocky wins and solves the cold war <laughs>
2: Was that the big montage movie where he was in the cabin in the ice? Or was that a different one?
1: Oh, oh, no, that is the one. And a lot of people think that they kind of mailed Rocky IV in because like a quarter of the movie is montages. (laughs) But I'm like, nope, that's what makes it awesome. That's what makes it
2: amazing. A good montage in a sports movie is really what you need in life.
1: That is true. All right. Before we get to our number one mm-hmm, movies, mm-hmm. Uh, you and I both had extensive honorable mention. Yes. Lists, so why don't you r- work me through your honorable? Okay.
2: Mentions. I'll go. I'll go quickly through mine. Uh, Karate Kid. I'm throwing on there as an underdog mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to add your fave, Rudy, as an underdog movie. Okay. And then this is a little bit of a stretch, but I did look it up online, and it is in someone else's underdog list. And that is The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just makes me think of the office <laughs> <laughs> love okay that movie.
2: okay those are mine what are your honorable mentions
1: so you and i have two crossovers i uh, on my honorable mention i have mighty ducks
2: yes nice uh,
1: i also have karate kid yes uh dodgeball which oh i love that
2: movie
1: underdog in the in the subtitle that's
2: right that's right
1: uh happy gilmore
2: oh is that an underdog movie okay
1: how about this one this last one might be a stretch forrest gump
2: interesting inter i feel like you're right about that brian yeah,
1: yeah i'm gonna go with forrest
2: wow gump. okay you kind of just blew my mind there with forrest gump
1: all right that gets us to number one number i don't, one. i thought you rudy might sneak into mm-hmm. your number one but uh okay we're gonna see here what's your number one my number
2: one is slumdog millionaire
1: That also makes me think of The Office.
2: (laughs) You have too many Office references in your mind. Uh,
1: Yes, yes. Why Slumdog Millionaire?
2: Because it is the ultimate underdog story. The kid grows up in like the projects of India. He has to swim through, you know, bathroom items. He gets on this show and he wins. And then he eventually, I don't want to ruin everything, but it is totally the ultimate underdog movie. I love it.
1: Uh, so, uh, can I tell you, I've never seen it,
2: Brian, would you please stop doing this job with me? Leave right now. I'll carry the rest of the show. Go watch it immediately.
1: That would be weird if I my wife really came home sad. and she's like, what are you doing? That's I'm sad like, for you. I'm watching uh, Slumdog Millionaire. I'm watching Aubrey
2: Sampson's <laughs> number one underdog movie. Do you no.
1: remember that scene in The Office, though, where Michael and uh, Holly make that, make that whole skit up to Slumdog Millionaire and it's really dumb?
2: S- vaguely. I feel yes. like your office memory is way better
1: than my oh office my gosh, memory. It is. All right. For me, number one, and this is probably my number one favorite movie and uh, therefore my number one uh, underdog movie, Hoosiers.
0: Anybody have anything they want to say? Yeah. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. I want to win for my dad. Let's win for Coach. You got us here.
1: Thank you. Oh, sure. Hoosiers.
2: Yep.
0: I
1: mean, the small town team beating the big yep. town team. Um, yeah, that's going to be my number one. So check this out online. We'd love to hear uh, your favorite underdog movies. As Aubrey said, this kind of gets the most traction on our social medias when we plug these uh, top five lists, which is fun for us. Go check them out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. We're really glad that you joined us today. Thanks for being with us. We're going to be back with you on Monday. We're looking forward to that, but we hope that you have a great weekend. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.